Uh, please turn with me to Genesis and chapter 28. I will be reading from verse 10 to verse 22. Genesis 28, 10 to 22. Uh, hear these words of our living God. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was loose at the first then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Praise God for his word. Time for reading scripture for us, and a very good morning to all of us especially to the moms among us. Uh, I think we have mothers, grandmothers, perhaps great-grandmothers as well. Uh, I think also Blessed Mother's Day to the spiritual mothers among us, so those of us who may not have children of our own but are actively involved in discipling and helping children grow in the faith. So happy Mother's Day to you too. Uh, as Oli mentioned, we do have a book table. Uh, it's downstairs on level three. And two books to recommend to us. Uh, maybe this is especially pertinent since it's Mother's Day, one called Bumps, Babies, and the Gospel. You know, how the Gospel, how does God's truth transform the way we parent? So a really helpful book for parents, so that's available downstairs at the book table, Bumps, Babies, and the Gospel. Uh, another one for you all to read with kids, so it doesn't have to be your own kids, but it could be uh, children that you're discipling. So this is a very helpful book called The Biggest Story, How the Snake Crusher Brings Us Back to the Garden. You know, we've been going through Genesis for quite a number of weeks now, and we may be wondering how do all these stories in Genesis connect to the bigger story of what God is doing through Jesus Christ. So this is an excellent book that describes that big story of how all these small stories connect to this, this overall plot line of how God saves sinners through His Son, Jesus. So, that's, so I commend this to you as well, called The Bigger Story, and these two books are available downstairs at the book table. 
Right, let me pray for us and then let's go to the Word together. Let's all pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much that you are God of grace. And Father, as we come to you, we pray that you would speak, O Lord, speak into our hearts. May your Spirit grant us soft hearts that are quick to listen. And may your Spirit also grant us hands and feet that are quick to do your will. Help us to trust you and to find our rest in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Where is God when life hurts? We may be fearful about the future, uncertain about what is to come. We may be unwell, wrestling with chronic pain or illness. We may be feeling isolated and alone. We may have lost a loved one. Or perhaps we may feel abandoned by others. We may be stressed, disillusioned, burnt out by work as we deal with difficult bosses and the constant grind of endless and unfulfilling tasks. We may dislike school as we struggle to live up to our own expectations and those of others around us. We may be discouraged that life hasn't turned out the way we wished. We may be wrestling with sadness or depression or even despair. And to make matters worse, our problems may have been caused by our own mistakes, perhaps by our own folly or bad choices. You know, we've dug the holes that we're in. You know, and in these, in these circumstances, God can seem even further away from us. Does He still care? Will He still care? Last week, we heard about the dysfunction and the deception of Isaac's family. His wife, Rebecca, instigates his, the youngest son, Jacob, to lie to his father to cheat his older brother, Esau, of his blessing. Now, as a result of Jacob's actions, he's forced to flee for his life because Esau wants to kill him in revenge. You know, so far, the, the picture we have of Jacob in the book of Genesis is that Jacob is uh, a man who makes plans, right? A man who is self-sufficient, a man who schemes, He's a man who relies on his own cunning to get what he wants. You know, Jacob may have thought that God was far away, but in truth, God was near. And now, as we come to this passage in Genesis 28, in Jacob's darkest hour, God will surprisingly and graciously intervene to turn Jacob's life around. And really, this is the big idea of our passage this morning. In crisis, God calls Jacob, who commits himself to God. And Jacob's story points us to the hope we have in God. And he has the power to call us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And friends, I I pray that as we hear this text this morning, I pray that God will speak to us through Jacob's story. And whatever our circumstances, we are not alone. The God who graciously worked in Jacob's life is the same God who can use our crises to call us back to himself. And I pray that our tough times may drive us nearer to God, who graciously calls us from crisis to commitment. And those are the three points this morning, crisis, call, commitment. So let's begin with crisis, looking at verses 10 and 11. So verse, the, the passage opens with uh, Jacob's situation, it tells us in verse 10, 
Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. Jacob is on the run, forced to leave Beersheba, where his family and home are. And Jacob has a long journey ahead of him. The distance from Beersheba to Haran is about the distance between Singapore and Penang. So imagine covering that distance on foot. So this is a long journey. Uh, leaving home was his mother's idea. Uh, Rebecca was trying to protect her favorite son from harm. So she urged Jacob to flee. Right? We, we hear this in Genesis 27, for, verses 42 to 44, uh, where Rebecca says to Jacob, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Now, this is a crisis for Jacob. You know, we, we, we've heard earlier in Genesis 25 about the kind of man Jacob is. Right? He's a man who, is, who enjoys a quiet life. He's a quiet man who dwells in tents. You know, this means Jacob appreciates stability. He appreciates uh, predictability. Yeah, he basically, he likes life to be unchanged, right? Just, just a quiet life. It allows him to get on with what he wants to do. You know, many of us can relate to this. I think we, we appreciate or value, comfort, security. But when a crisis comes, a crisis upsets our settled lives. I think that's why it's a crisis. You know, Jacob must leave the comforts of home, the place where he's known prosperity and security, and he must venture forth into the great unknown in order to flee from his murderous brother. You know, Jacob has been a clever and resourceful man. You know, he's trusted in himself rather than God. And Jacob is a man who has lived by his wits. But now he, he finds himself at his wits' end, having deceived his father and brother to get the blessing through underhanded means. Jacob must now face the consequences of his cunning. You know, friends, have you ever felt stuck? In a situation. Well, Jacob is caught between a rock and a hard place. You know, he cannot stay in Beersheba because his brother will kill him. But then in Haran, his conniving uncle Laban awaits. And you know, if you read on in the story, we know that Laban will exploit him. So Jacob is caught between two very difficult circumstances. Jacob is running away from a troubled past into a perilous present and towards an uncertain future. Now, who knows when or if he can return home? You know, Jacob wanted the birthright and blessings, but now, ironically, he flees empty-handed. He must have been fearful and depressed as he spent the night alone in an unfamiliar place. You know, it's interesting that he doesn't go into Luz, the city. Perhaps he's afraid of them as well. So he spends the night in the wilderness. So even Jacob's physical surroundings reflect his crisis. Right? Instead of dwelling in a tent, Jacob sleeps in the open with the hard ground for a bed and a stone for a pillow. It is dark. The sun has set and it is night. Right? You notice how the, uh, Moses tells us the time. And this pictures the deepening gloom in Jacob's life. You know, in fact, if you follow the narrative of Jacob's story all the way through, uh, the sun is said to rise on Jacob only 20 years later, in Genesis 32, after he wrestles with God. Jacob is about to embark on a long journey 
a 20-year journey through toil and trouble. But friends, the good news is that his crisis, his crisis is not pointless. As we shall see, God's sanctifying work in Jacob's life is about to begin. And, and so it is with us as well. Crises and trials often push us out of our comfort zones, and they often reveal where we've been putting our faith and hope. Uh, crises and trials expose the foundations on which we've built our lives. Maybe health, family, friends, our studies, our work, or just generally our success in this world. You know, crises arise when the things we depend on for our happiness, comfort, or security are removed. That's why it's a crisis. Because the, thing that, the things that give us most, most joy and comfort and security are taken away from us. Hence, we experience crisis. Now, if our sense of significance and well-being is found in our studies or our careers, then I put it to us that it can be devastating when we don't get good grades or we don't get into the school of our choice or we don't get the promotion that we've been working so hard for or even worse, we lose our job. If family is the source of our sense of well-being, then it can be deeply discouraging. When we look around and our friends are all getting married but we're still single. If family is the source of our well-being, then what happens when our children or our marriage they don't turn out the way we had hoped for. Jacob tried to scheme his way to get blessings, but his present predicament shows the limit of his own efforts. You know, friends, how have our attempts to control outcomes backfired on us? There are times when we've tried to manipulate things or even people to do what we want. You know, how, how often has that led to anger, to frustration, to disappointment, to discouragement, perhaps even broken relationships. You know, I experience this with my children, right? I try to kind of manipulate good behavior from them and it ends in tears, both mine and my son's. You know, crises can be painful, but helpful reminders that we are not in control and they bring us to an end of ourselves, showing us that we are not self-sufficient. Which brings us to our next point, call, verses 12 to 15. God softens our hard hearts by bringing us through tough times. C.S. Lewis famously said, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, and shouts in our pain. It is His megaphone to rouse a dead world. Did that wake some of us up? You know, I think a good example of this is when we read, you know, conversion testimonies. You know, for example, when we have uh, baptisms and we have members coming in by transfer, you know, just take the time to read their testimonies. Oftentimes, you find how crises in these folks' lives bring them to God. You know, and that's, how, that's often how God works. He brings us through difficult times and He calls us to Himself when we come to an end of ourselves. You know, scheming Jacob needs to learn that he cannot earn God's blessing. He must simply trust in the gracious God. You know, after Jacob falls asleep, God gives him a vision in a dream. 
You know, notice how God is the one who takes the initiative. All this that we read in this passage is by God's grace. You know, the fact that Jacob is sleeping means that he cannot take any credit for what God is about to show him. He is inactive. Right? He's asleep. And this is a lesson that Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, learned as well. You know, in Genesis 15, I think we preached on that some months ago, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. Remember Genesis 15? And in that chapter, God, make, God cuts a covenant with Abraham. And God alone, in that covenant-cutting ceremony, God alone passed between the animal pieces. You know, Abraham is asleep the whole time. And that means, as, as we said in that, in that sermon, that means that Abra- God himself is committing himself to keep the covenant. The fulfillment of that covenant that God makes with Abraham will depend ultimately on God, not on Abraham, because he's asleep. And it is the same here as well. You know, God is showing Jacob that he is the one who will keep his promises. No thanks to Jacob. You know, Jacob will receive the promised blessing not because he has earned them, but because God is gracious. You know, Jacob is far from God, but God mercifully seeks the sinner and finds the fugitive. He suddenly and unexpectedly intervenes in Jacob's life. You know, in the previous chapters, Jacob has not mentioned God at all, except to take the Lord's name in vain. Chapter 27, verse 20. You know, Jacob was not looking for God, not, not by a long shot. But God found him. You know, this is wonderfully encouraging for us, isn't it? That God meets us in our darkest crisis and deepest need. You know, to know that God first loved us. And He doesn't wait for us to climb out of the hole that we've dug for ourselves, but He climbs in to pull us out. And God calls us not because of our righteousness or works, but because of His grace and mercy. Verse 12 says, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So this is the vision that Jacob sees. He sees a ladder, or probably more like a stairway, connecting heaven and earth. You know, does this remind you of uh, an earlier stairway that you've read about in Genesis? You remember Babel? Babel was set up a tower, like a stairway, in an attempt to reach heaven. Right? You know, when, when the men built the Tower of Babel, uh, they were trying to make a name for themselves. Uh, they were trying to reach heaven by building a tower high enough. Right? The, the Babel represents man's attempt to be autonomous and independent from God. Babel represents man's attempt to be self-sufficient. Right? That we can do it you know, if we only plan hard enough, if we only try hard enough, if we only make enough effort, we can reach even heaven. That was Babel. What a contrast here in, in Genesis 28 where you have a stairway connecting heaven and earth, but not made by man. It's a vision given to Jacob by God. You know, this is a message for all of us because the spirit of Babel lives in all of us. You know, we have this sinful human tendency to try to make it on our own without help. And we need to hear this. You know, is our relationship with God based on our works or His grace? You know, how might we be trying to be good enough because we think this is how we get God's approval? 
Jacob's vision shows us that it is God who brings heaven to earth, not man who tries to reach heaven on his own. You know, Jacob had been trying to get the blessings through his own efforts and actions. Jacob is a man of planning, a man of action, right? Tell me what I need to do. But this vision shows Jacob that if we are to come to God, then he must be the one who brings us to himself. Jacob felt helpless, and that's why he is well prepared to hear God. God opens his eyes to behold his glory in the vision of the angel-filled stairway. Hebrews 1 tells us that the angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Jacob, as a man about to inherit salvation, he is being served by God. And and the, the vision communicates to him that God is the one who cares for him. God is the one who sends angels up and down that stairway to watch over his servant, to watch over his chosen one, Jacob. And the stairway points Jacob to God's constant presence, provision, and protection. He's not alone. God is with him. You know, like Jacob, we too must grasp the grace of God. He saves and watches over us, not because we are good, but because he is good. Now, friends, are we anxious about many things? We should spend time this week to read and reflect on God's Word. As we read and reflect on God's Word, ask yourself, what does this tell me about God, His character, His promises, His works, and His ways? What does this reveal to me about the gracious God who saves me in spite of myself? I encourage us to also meet up with one another during the week. We we shouldn't do this on our own. We don't walk the Christian life on our own. Meet up with one another during the week read the Bible together, pray for one another, remind one another constantly of God's goodness and grace. You know, we we often forget, don't we? We often forget how God is good. And we need the reminders of our brothers and sisters around us to spur us on during the week, not just here on a Sunday, but during the week. But how important it is also to gather on, on the weekends, to come together as God's people, to worship Him, to spend time together, not just at this point, but before and after the service where we can talk with one another, where we can encourage one another. You know, my exhortation to us is that you know, every time you come to church, as you gather as a church, you know, try not to leave until you've spoken a word of encouragement to someone else, until someone else has had the opportunity to encourage you. Right? Just linger a while and, and be in a place where you can give and receive encouragement. That is why we gather as God's people. Given that Jacob had lied to his father and cheated his brother, we, we, might, we will be justified to ask, you know, does he still deserve the promises? You know, he's, he's tried to obtain them through underhanded means. Surely he would have disqualified himself from obtaining the promises. But amazingly, you know, the Lord assures Jacob that his promises remain true. Verses 13 and 14. He says to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Isn't it amazing that the sovereign God can overcome and work through even human sinfulness? 
to accomplish his plan. God's promises to Abraham and Isaac are passed on to Jacob. God promises Jacob land, a place for Jacob and his descendants. God promises a people for Jacob, a vast multitude from Jacob's offspring, countless, like the dust of the earth. God promises to bless Jacob and to make him a blessing to the whole world. God promises him a people, a place, and blessing. Yes, Jacob is a cheat and a liar, but the promised offspring will come through him. God takes a flawed and sinful man from a fractured family to accomplish his salvation plan. Surely he can use us. Surely he can work through us. It is all by the grace of God so that he alone gets the glory. Beloved, how have we sinned against God this past week? As we think about our lives this week, how have we turned away from God? It may have been uh, angry or dishonest words, lustful looks, selfish actions, covetous envy, worldly ambition, or fearful, anxious unbelief. I think Jacob's example is an encouragement to us that we can return to God because His grace is greater than our sin. So if you, if you feel your, the weight of your sin, don't turn in on yourself even more. Look out of yourself and look to the one who is able and willing to save you by His grace. God remembers that we are dust. He knows our fears and failures as well as our worries and weaknesses. And God assures Jacob of his persevering presence. And he says in verse 15, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Isn't it wonderful? God says to Jacob, I will finish the work that I began in you. You know, this doesn't mean Jacob will have it easy from now on. You know, in fact, Jacob is in for more suffering and sorrow. Jacob will be exploited by a bad boss, his uncle Laban. He will endure a difficult marriage. He will experience the pain of losing a son. You know, God will lead Jacob through many dangers, toils, and snares. And he doesn't promise Jacob a comfortable life, but more importantly, he promises that he will be with Jacob. And he will be with Jacob until he finishes the work that he intends to do in and through Jacob. Beloved, we may be uncertain about our future, but take heart. If we belong to God, then He will never leave us nor forsake us. And He will complete the work that He began in us and He will bring us safely home. Whatever your circumstances, whatever you feel you may be burdened by, we're going through right now in the moment, He will bring you safely home. One Christian writer says it well, our life is not, a, is, our life is not simply a solitary wandering, but a journey to the holy city with the holy God. Finally, commitment. Verses 16 to 22. God can use crises to call us to Himself, but we need to bear in mind that tough times don't automatically lead us towards God. Suffering in and of itself is not necessarily sanctifying. We have to make a response to God as well. 
And He calls us to turn away from our self-sufficiency and to turn to Him by faith. You know, former U.S. President said this famous, or former U.S. President John F. Kennedy said these famous words. He said, in a crisis, be aware of the danger, but recognize the opportunity. It's true. The danger is that our trials may lead us to harden our hearts against God. Our trials can lead us to unbelief as we become more disillusioned, more resentful or bitter about our circumstances. But on the other hand, there is opportunity in crises. God calls us from crisis to commitment. And Jacob serves as an example for us. How do we respond when times are tough? How do we respond when we hear God's call in crisis? Jacob shows us what that looks like. It means humility, worship, and devotion. Humility, worship, and devotion. So first, humility. Verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. So when Jacob wakes up from the dream, he humbly acknowledges that he had been spiritually blind. But he now sees. Before, Jacob was ignorant of God's presence, but now he realizes that God has been with him all along. Now, in times of trouble, we can become so focused on our problems that we lose sight of God. But when God calls, He gives us the eyes of faith to see Him. And we realize that He's not far. And we learn to fear God rather than to fear man or our circumstances. You know, at first, this place seemed dark and foreboding to Jacob. But you see the change that comes about having known God's presence. Jacob says in verse 17, How awesome! Is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. You know, friends, what, what an encouragement this is. You know, if God is with us, then even our hard places are transformed into sanctuaries of God's presence. Even our most difficult of circumstance is changed as we see how God is with us through the waters, through the fires. Second, Jacob responds with worship. Verses 18 and 19. It says, So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Jacob turns his stone pillow into a stone pillar to worship God. And this pillar commemorates or marks the vision of the stairway that he's seen between heaven and earth. And by pouring a sacrificial offering of oil on the top of the pillar, Jacob is consecrating the place to God. And he calls it Bethel, house of God. Jacob is also dedicating himself to God. It's an act of worship. See how God has transformed Jacob from a schemer to a worshipper. My friends, God calls us as we are. But His grace doesn't leave us as we are. His grace changes us, and His grace changes the direction of our lives as well, so that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the one who has died and has been risen and has been raised for us. Commitment to God means humility, worship, and thirdly, it means devotion. 
Now, Jacob pledges himself to God with a vow. He says, the Lord shall be his God. This place shall be God's house, and a tenth of his wealth shall be given to God. Now, I think his vow is quite interesting. So let's, let's spend a bit of time thinking about his vow. You know, so although Jacob shows commitment, his vow is somewhat conditional, isn't it? You know, if God, you do this, then I will do this. Now, perhaps his conditional vow shows us that Jacob's faith still needs to grow. Now, Jacob's vow sounds a lot like uh, the vow that Martin Luther made. You know, Martin Luther, the, the well-known Protestant reformer, so in 1505, after Luther graduated with a master's degree in law, he was going home to meet his parents. And on the journey, he was, he was caught in a terrifying storm. And Luther was terrified. Right? This was some storm. You know, not, not just a drizzle, but a real storm. And Luther was caught in the open and he had to take shelter behind the rock. And he was fearful. You know, he was terrified. And Luther kind of blurted out. He said, you know, he prayed to St. Anne. You know, that was the only mediator he knew. At that point, he said, St. Anne, uh, if, if you save me, I will become a monk. Right? A conditional vow. If you save me, I will become a monk. Right? I think God honoured that, even though that vow was somewhat clumsy and maybe somewhat imperfect, but God honoured that. And, and so it is with Jacob as well. Right? His, his vow is conditional, but God shows grace to Jacob. The Lord is God of Jacob's forefathers, but is he Jacob's God? You know, Jacob sounds, he's not quite sure, right? His vow is like, it sounds like he's hedging his bets a bit. Jacob sounds like he's making a deal, right? Only if God fulfills his side of the bargain will Jacob then worship the Lord as his God. You know, maybe we've also put God to the test, right? God, if you do this, then I will do this for you, right? God, if you do this, then I'll show up at church more. God, if you do this, then maybe I'll give more, right? So maybe we also put God to the test. And, and Jacob's request what he asks of God also appears to be more focused on his own interest, his, his narrow kind of immediate needs, than with God's purposes. So his, his request for food and clothing, they, they seem rather small in light of God's big promises of people, place, and blessing to the nations. I think Jacob shows us that he's a man of faith, but he's a man of imperfect faith. He's a man who still struggles to devote himself completely to God. Jacob is a very relatable character. Because how many of us struggle with the exact same things? You know, we struggle to trust God completely. You know, we always feel the need to kind of hedge a bit. Say, yeah, I trust you, God, but also this. You know, we struggle to devote ourselves to Him with wholehearted faith and faithfulness. You know, our lack of prayer I think it's evidence that we don't always trust God as we should. Jacob is a lot like us. But the good news for us is that God is patient and gracious with Jacob. He accepts Jacob's imperfect commitment. And, and God pledges to continue to grow and to strengthen Jacob. And, and so it is with us as well. As we, as we come to God with imperfect faith, God entrusts himself to us and he, he pledges to grow us and to strengthen our faith. He, pres he pledges to be with us and to help us to mature, to help us to trust Him more. This is encouragement to us to press on in faith and faithfulness. You know, bring yourselves to God and trust Him, even if your faith in Him is imperfect. God is faithful. 
He will finish the work that He began in us. He has predestined a people for their holiness and glory. and We can trust Him to do His work in and through us. I think this is a call for us to also be patient and long-suffering with one another. Now, the church is made up of imperfect people with imperfect faith. All of us are works in progress. Christ is the one who is building His church. And we can trust Him. Even as we stumble along, even as we step on one another's toes, you know, let's give grace to one another and entrust Christ to finish His work that He began in us. You know, but friends, how can we be confident that God is really for us? What gives us this sense of assurance and hope that God is truly for us? You know, after all, we've turned away from Him, haven't we? We've all sinned against Him. You know, this God who made us in His image to worship Him, to reflect His character, yet we have all turned away from Him to serve ourselves. You know, friends, we all face one common crisis. Our greatest crisis is that we face the judgment of a holy God against us. So what gives us confidence that this holy God is truly for us? Well, Jacob saw a vision that assured him of God's presence. And we have the glorious fulfillment of Jacob's vision. You know, the good news for us is that this God, this holy God, has drawn near to us, to unworthy sinners like us. Heaven has come down to earth, not just in a vision, but heaven has come down to earth in the person of God's Son. Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, He is our stairway to heaven. Speaking of Himself, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is in John's Gospel, John 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He is the ladder, that stairway that connects heaven to earth. Now, we see heavens, we see the heavens open. Why? Because Jesus has opened them for us. He's opened up the way for sinners like us to return to God. Jesus died for sinners, bearing God's judgment so that we can be forgiven if we trust in Christ alone to save us. And Jesus has been resurrected and ascended to heaven and He's blazed the trail so that those of us who believe in Him, we follow Him to glory. Jesus is the only mediator between God and us. You know, Luther learned that, right? Luther learned that St. Anne isn't his mediator, but Jesus is the only saviour for sinners. He's the only mediator that connects heaven to earth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We cannot come to God unless we ascend this stairway, unless we come to Jesus and trust in Him. God has sent His Son to call us to Himself out of our crisis of sin, that we might commit ourselves to know God and to walk in His ways. You know, therefore, friends, repent and believe in Jesus, the only mediator for sinners. 
You know, Jacob committed to God's call with humility, worship, and devotion. How are we humbly depending on Jesus? And how are we worshipping Him with our entire being? How has the grace of God changed your life? How does it look different? How are we walking now a new life? Because Christ has saved you and has changed you and is changing you to become more and more like Him. Jacob dedicated the stone pillar to be God's house, Bethel. How are we also devoting ourselves to Christ by building His house, the church? Not, Not this physical building, but look around. The brothers and sisters who sit around us, we are to commit ourselves to Christ by committing ourselves to them, to do spiritual good to them. And how do we do that? We speak God's truth in love, to one another, so that the whole body of Christ, the whole temple of God is built up in love, in unity, and in grace. That's what we do if we devote ourselves to Christ. And this is why we come together as God's people. We give ourselves opportunity to do this for one another. Right? So come for the sake of others. Not just for your own sake, but come for the sake of others. Grace, God's grace transformed Jacob from a selfish grasper to a generous giver. Right? You see how he pledges a tenth of his possessions to God. Yeah, but beloved, I think God holds us to a higher standard than the tithe. I think it's interesting if you read the New Testament, the New Testament doesn't command the tithe. The tithe is, is you find it in the Old Testament, but the New Testament doesn't really command the tithe. Because the New Testament commands us to give more than that. The New Testament commands us to give ourselves first to God. Not just a tenth, but to give ourselves 100% to God. And then our finances will follow. That's what God is calling us to as a show of our devotion to Him. Jacob gave a tithe. We give our very lives, every aspect of our lives to God. Having received God's grace and mercy, how will we live? How will we respond to God? Will we give ourselves as a living sacrifice to Him? How will we respond when Christ calls us from crisis to commitment? Friends, let's pray together. Gracious Father, we praise you indeed. You are a gracious God. You are a sovereign God who calls a people to yourself not because we are deserving, not because of our own righteousness or our works, but Father, you call entirely by your sovereign grace. And as we come to you, we acknowledge that we have all turned away from you. And yet, in your patience, in your long-suffering love for us, you pursued us and you found us. So, Father, having, if we are those who have received your call, help us now to live lives that are transformed by your grace. Help us to live for your glory. Help us to give ourselves to you, all of ourselves to you, holding nothing back. And, Father, for those of us who have not trusted in your Son, Father, we pray that you would give the gift of faith. Open our eyes to behold the wonders of your love, the glories of the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ.
and help us to turn to Him by faith, trusting in Him, finding in Him our all-sufficient Saviour. So, Father, we pray that You work in our hearts. We pray that in good times or in tough times, our hearts will be fixed on You always. For You are with us, and You will never leave us nor forsake us. We praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen.